I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been reading all the work. And welcome to this episode of Put Back Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name's Kevin Hill. I'm your host, as always, and we are going to talk about warehousing today and sales of warehousing and technology with none other than Jeff Boot, who is the director of product over at LoadSmart, working primarily on Open Docs, which he's been doing for years before the acquisition, after the acquisition, we'll talk about that a little bit and talk about the one problem that gets everybody is scheduling trucks at locations. I mean, it's like, it used to be my death knell because I never wanted to do it until the last moment and it always screwed me over. So um, we're going to talk about how to automate that, uh, about different locations and the whole scheduling world. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. It's the uh, it's the least sexy industry that causes the most pain, and uh, that's what I love about it. You gotta you gotta find these niches that you really geek out over and are gonna invest the time in that are not you know very exciting for most people, but they're a real problem. And I love that everyone can relate to it. Like, oh my gosh, when I was booking trucks, scheduling appointments sucked. It was the worst. I hated it. And that's always really exciting for me that, okay, we've got some product market fit. We're solving a real problem. You know, and you bring that up and it is so true is those problems that no one wants to touch or solve or wrap their head around are the most profitable and usually the most successful. I, I don't know where I saw this, but, you know, someone was saying, oh, that person, you know, I, I know 10 rich people. They didn't they weren't in fashion. They weren't in media. They weren't in this. They're in garbage. They were in business of business, really dirty, grimy stuff that no one else wanted to know. And tackling scheduling is 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 one of those that it's not dirty or grimy by by any means, right? Um, but is complicated. No, that's it's so true. I think of a, a company that is, I probably has a little bit more attention now, but Plaid. Plaid is one of those softwares, the B2B software that just said, we're going to make it easier to log in and access and verify you and validate you through your bank credentials. That was a space that probably no one wanted a part of. They're like, I don't even understand the business model. Wait, who's going to pay me? And like, I'm going to go interface with this highly regulatory bank software that's older. And and then they do it. And they're a Mm -hmm. billion dollar company and Visa tries to acquire them. And, you know, you can just see like, if you're willing to solve real problems, there's value there. Um, and particularly like, you know, every investor or, or things like that will ask, you know, what's your moat? And part of our moat is I don't think anyone wants to get in the mud and like sell the warehouses day to day and help them through these pain points because it's just not the most sexy or exciting thing. It's not. And the people who want to tackle it, it's not their core business. Right. Right. So, so basically the, they're in, uh, what they, what they feel is a more lucrative or bigger market. And the, the market might not be big enough for them to put the resources in, which is a, a nice mode, right? Is to control the niche of a smaller market uh, compared to transportation in general, right? Which is $100 billion. So warehousing scheduling seems small unless you're really interested in there and it's a big market. That's absolutely right. And you're, you're exactly on it with, you know, TMSs and WMSs, much larger ticket items, huge, but 
also with large ticket items comes large initial investment, large staff. You know, we can do this kind of lean and mean. And yeah, you mentioned the the logistics, you know, eight hundred uh, billion dollar market and all of that. I feel like I'm the only person who doesn't have that on their TAM slides. Like total addressable market, <laughs> oh, no. truck eight hundred billion, and they're like, are you like involved in all that? I was like. No, really just this small segment, but it's the big number that everyone gets excited <laughs> about to invest in. It really is. It, it's funny how the numbers in transportation, because it's so fragmented, um, skews everything. Because once you really start looking under the hood, um, and I'm doing this project right now, you know, 25,000 freight brokerages. Well, about 1,000 of those controlled 90% of all the domestic truckload freight. So how many are those? Well, there's, there's about a thousand or so, right? And then a lot of other smaller players out there that um, are, are doing lifestyle business, doing income, you know, sitting at their kitchen table, brokering loads, maybe making six figures. And that's about it. Yeah. No, and that's a good life. It is. And that long tail really can have a lot of value, especially like in it your can. project, right? Everyone, you know, I think most people could rattle off the top 10 to 20, and then you get into the hundred, and then, you know, a thousand's pretty deep, but then, there's still 24,000 people who are, or companies who are legitimately like moving freight in like a yep. meaningful freight volume. And they need products, solutions, services, coaching, training, staffing, they're growing. And so there's opportunity there. And it's just, does anyone want to grind and go figure all that out? And the answer I think for you was most people know. So that's why you're doing it. Yeah, is that exactly right. You know, you do what no one else wants to do and there's your moat. We're we're the same boat, right? I don't think yeah. uh, not, I don't think a lot of people woke up and got excited. They're like, let's replace this whole spreadsheet, email, phone call situation. Let's <laughs> let's go call these warehouses who are busy. Maybe not the most tech uh, tech focused at this moment because they're they're just trying to move the freight in and off mm-hmm. their docks. And like, let's go call them all. Let's find solutions for them and let's help them implement it. Like, I just don't think many people want to do that. And you know, now we do have a few competitors in this space and one or two that have been around a little longer than us, but you know, they, I don't think there's many who want to get in there and, and that's what's allowed us to, to get a lot of traction and keep moving quicker and quicker. Yeah. And it is, it is one of those, so we, we, we talk about detention, demerge all the time. We talk about, um, the conditions that shipping facilities, I mean, we do that at Freight Waves on the shipper of choice. I, I don't think scheduling gets talked about nearly enough because that is one of the inefficient uh, the, the greatest inefficiencies in the market and it's one of the prime drivers i think of detention is scheduling mishaps yeah absolutely right if a if a warehouse doesn't know what time you're even attempting to get there right it starts with just what time are you planning to get there because even mm-hmm. if it's not perfect We've got a window. We've got something to work with. And over time, we can work on how reliable you know you show up for those times. But it has to start with, what time are you expecting to get there from both sides of it? Because if I'm expecting you, then I can be prepared for you. And prepared for you might mean staged product. It might mean people ready to load and unload. It might be the person at the guard shack to assign you a door quickly. But it's all about just that preparation and you can't prepare if you don't have things on your calendar. And we feel like we're kind of the first foray into that for, for many facilities. You, you are, you know, because I mean, I, you know, it has been 2016 since I broke a load, but it was old school even then, you know, I mean, really old school, like pen and paper and, um, and just a confusing mess at a lot of warehouses. 
I wish I could tell you it changed. It, it you know, <laughs> it's been seven years and uh, look, we've done a good job. We have, uh, you know, we have over 3000 warehouses on our platform now, so we're making a dent, but you know, everyone else who's not on platforms like ours or, or similar, uh, they're still using those methods you're talking about. And, and you can see it, right? There's nothing worse for a broker when you get a tender to load that's, you know, three days out, four days out. It's like, all right, we got to source this. We got to source it for a competitive price, a reliable truck. And then you really can't source till you have that appointment. Mm-hmm. And then it takes two days because you send the email and then you follow up and it gets lost. And then two days later, somebody's like, all right, we got you your appointment for tomorrow. And you're like, well, now my sourcing time is like 24 hours. I'm going to get crushed on rates because I'm scrambling and I've got to fulfill this tender I accepted. And, you know, ultimately that comes down to, is it going to raise transportation rates for the people who delayed it? Because, you know, that cost of hire is going to go up. They might raise the price or even worse, they drop the load and you go further down your routing guide, maybe even into the spot portal, which is going to raise that price up again in most markets. And so there's a real negative impact there. There, there is. And I, I just remember though there's one facility, though there's one customer that I had, I wouldn't get tender the load until the day before. You know, it, every single week is a weekly load. Wouldn't get it until one <laughs> of day or two days, right? <laughs> yep. But it was shorter than the window. I had to pick up the phone and make the call to the delivery location because they were always booked up three or four, five, six days in advance. And, um, and I couldn't get tender the load. Primarily because they didn't know when they were going to finish the product, and um, and it was it was just always a headache, right? And then you're solving problems on their side. You're like, just to let you know, you guys always tender with two days in advance, but the facility we're going to always has a six day lead time. Yeah, and so I have to charge you for layovers, or I'm holding this in a facility mm-hmm. uh, because we just can't figure out these timing things. Yeah. That if we could just if you could tender this to me a little bit earlier, we could pick up then. We can hit this, or you can call that facility and ask for, you know, dedicated availability just for you. But that would save everyone a ton of money. But someone's got to like highlight all those, put it together, and make a compelling reason to do it. That they do, they do in our Jeff Booth interpolation. <laughs> That's how long you've been working uh, with Open Doc. I were you a founder of Open Doc or early employee? I'm not early, probably early employee is the best way, but I, you know, I probably, I probably over credit myself. I claim step founder, like, uh, yeah. you know, we got handed off and we moved through a new company. So actually here in about a couple of weeks, it'll be four years. And, uh, those first couple of years were with a parent company called appointment plus that launched the open doc product and brought me and a couple other really great individuals on the product and engineering side in to kind of start building this. And it was this tiny little segment of this general appointment scheduling business and they were scheduling for dog groomers and Costco tire and all these things and they had just found like a couple hundred maybe a hundred warehouses a couple hundred warehouses that were interested and they were kind of just repurposing the software to work for them uh it, it was probably akin to like a, a google calendar or something where yep. it's not exactly right but there's enough pieces you could get there and uh that's where we started nice that is awesome. And uh, you're acquired by LoadSmart. Um, when was that? Was that a year, two years ago? Yeah. So actually, same thing. We do, we just map everything to August. It makes it easier. Uh, so yeah. same thing. Two years in August, uh, we'll have been acquired by LoadSmart. But actually, between that, it was kind of funny. Appointment Plus got acquired by another company called DaySmart, another generic appointment scheduling company. And so 
you know, our founders sold to them. And then we got there and I kind of tried to really pitch, hey, you should let us spin this out. And they're like, who are you? Like, what are we getting into? And I was like, I promise this will be worthwhile. Let's spin this out and let us get acquired by a strategic player because um, I think we're a really good fit. And uh, I said, but the thing is, I have to build a brand new product from scratch because acquiring us and trying to like cut out pieces of this product and create licensing agreements is going to be messy and no one's going to go for it. And um, sure enough, uh, while we were in that process and building that first prototype, uh, Felipe Capella from Loadsmart, CEO and co-founder, came to us and he's like, I like what you're doing. We can figure it out. And I said, great, I'll call you back in like eight months once we've built this new thing and you have something ready to buy. And he's like, no, we'll just, we'll figure it out now. I was like, we're really messy. Uh, we're really sorting a lot of things out. He's like, that's okay. We'll get through it. And so uh, Loadsmart acquired us two years ago and we came over and within the first eight months, we built a ground up new product from scratch. And that's where we started bringing on new customers to that new product and started migrating all our legacy customers mm -hmm. over. So that's what we've been doing for the last, you know, almost two years. Oh, perfect. That's perfect. Now, I want to ask you this, um, because we talked about this in trucking, you know, how many trucks are out there, how many carriers, how many warehouses are there? Let, let's just keep it simple in the U.S. All right. This is an awesome question and one we wrestle with all the time, right? Because when you have investors or people putting money towards a product, you want to explain what your addressable market is. And That's so, TM. Right. You got to tell That's them the TM, which is if every warehouse is going to pay us, you know, six, seven, eight grand a year, and then there's times by how many. And so mm -hmm. a lot of different schools of thought on this. Um, I've looked at commercial real estate companies. I've looked at, I've talked to other startups who are selling to warehouses. My number is around 100,000 and it's a very convenient round number, but I do believe it's around 100,000. And I've had several other startups in the space kind of anchor to a similar number. But, you know, there'll be, there'll be people out there who reference uh, Statista or um, there's some Bureau of Labor statistics and things mm -hmm. like that that say like 20 to 25,000. The challenge is the definition of a warehouse yes. is conceptual. It's not like, a specific zoning requirement in the United States. And it's not, sometimes it's a building, sometimes uh, it's a crosstalk, right? It's it's less of a building. It feels more like a temporary building. Or it's, a back room. You got it. And so I really think of it, when I say 100,000, I think of it as a dedicated facility that's, we'll call it at least, you know, 5,000 square feet. It's of some kind of substantial size, bigger than that. And it's got shipments in and out of it. And that doesn't count things that I th I think are users of Open Dock um, or potential or the places like big box retailers. You know, I used to work at a big box retailer, and our stores essentially behaved as a warehouse. Like a, a Lowe's has three or four docks behind it, and they'll have staged trailers and a pretty big back room. So I don't count those in my number. Um, I really try to think of a warehouse as doesn't have a retail component, meaning there's no direct consumers going there. Um, and so that's sort of how I balance it. So I think the number is about a hundred thousand, but I would love if someone could give me a list of all hundred thousand and confirm or deny that, uh, because also that's, those are my leads. Those are who I want to sell our product yeah, to. Yeah. I, I, right. I, I think this is a very good point. You have to define what a warehouse is, um, cause it is conceptual. It, anything can be called a warehouse, uh, but you have to have a very specific definition of your target market 
warehouse, right? No retail, you know, you have trucks coming in, trucks going out, delivering that to the retail location or further downstream. And you have warehouse workers, you have some kind of system for cataloging. I, I, I think uh, this might not be part of your definition, but somehow a third party that you're handling other your customers or other other people's freight, kind of like commercial trucking, right? You're, you're handling other people's freight. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we really think about uh, you know a big component of our our customer base is our three PLs, right? And mm-hmm. so that's how we really classify them. Do you store freight that doesn't belong to you specifically, right? You are not the shipper or ultimately receiver and final seller of that. And so we really flag that group. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I always use warehouses and I've I've really made that a generic general term of big building that receives stuff. But it's funny, uh, especially you can tell the way tech's been sold in this industry and things like that. We'll have customers call and they're like, but will it work for a fulfillment center? I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah, you, you've overvalued my definition of warehouse. Fulfillment center, distribution center, whatever you want to call it. Like if you've got things coming in and going out and people need to schedule, we're perfect. <laughs> I know, right? But people get that in their head. They're like warehouse. Oh, warehouse means it's stored for at least two or three months. Um, and where yes. fulfillment means it's a one week turnaround, you know, people have different definitions. And I was like, sorry, we're not that sophisticated, just big buildings with stuff in it that you need to schedule. <laughs> oh, so you think there's a hundred thousand? I think there's a hundred thousand of these. And I think, you know, we have a little over 3000 now. And so, you know, using that real easy math convenient for me, it's like, all right, we've got 3% of the market, but the real magic for me is from what we've looked at with a lot of other brokerages um, and looking at data behind it, we think about 85 to 90% of these warehouses don't have a dock scheduling solution um, of any kind. So it's not part of their TMS or WMS. They don't have a standalone like us or some other competitors. They just use paper, pen, phone call, email, um, maybe some spreadsheet there, or it's just old school, first come, first serve, we figure it out. Yeah, you know... Usually, I mean, a lot of times it's first in, first out. Um, internal systems, right? You know, the, the 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 post-it notes and phone calls and emails. I, I think we can all agree that you shouldn't be doing that, right? <laughs> right. Inefficient. I, I don't think any of the warehouse companies benefit from building their own internal scheduling, right? Then you're talking about app fatigue, right? You're working with all these different players. And that's where the, the real opportunity, and we're getting to that, is to have one standardized system that, as a broker, I can use, the carrier can use, and the warehouse can use. And it's just one platform. It's a shared calendar, uh, shared appointment, and having that network effect you is it. key, right? That's, that's the dream. That's what we want to get yeah. to. Um, and we really do believe that's where a ton of the value is. Again, we have other competitors in this space trying to do similar things, but we've really tried to be very user-friendly that allows us to kind of do that more effectively than others. Um, We think we scale down to very small warehouses and scale up to very large enterprises uh, because our product's just really easy to use, but it has depth and it's API-focused so we can integrate with those other systems. And we think that's a big part of our journey is just being integration-friendly, knowing that there's so much nuance to what 
people want to do to operate their warehouse, it's hard to take that paper and pen and turn it into software. And so we try to be flexible enough to accommodate all the different things they want while still standardizing in a way that's usable for many people. But you talk about building it yourself. Look, there's really large, like Walmart built their own scheduling system. And it look, it makes sense that they want to do that. But it's interesting. I hear a lot of feedback of like, oh man, the portal's down. We're struggling to mm-hmm. book and there's challenges with it. And so, you know, I want to go to the Walmarts of the world and say, I think you could really use what we have and just integrate us nicely into your portal um, and, and take that load off. Because I think people who don't build software day to day, they think it's not that hard. It's a scheduling tool. And then you start unpacking it and they start getting user requests and they want more. Then you got to maintain it. And I think people underestimate it. And uh, a great example was we we have a really great partner out there and they said, we've built a doc scheduler before. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I've seen that. That's great. Uh, why are you still talking to us? And they're like, oh, we built it for one customer and we never want to do it again. It was the worst thing ever. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? They're like, there's just so much nuance that people don't want to acknowledge. It's a pain in the butt. We hate it. And we built one and we know how to do it. And that's the reason we'll never try to sell it, market it, or deal with it again. And we'd rather just use you as a partner. And so now they recommend us and refer us. And that's a really good like indicator to me of mm-hmm. why people don't want to get in this space because it's harder than you think. It is harder to think. And there's only a handful of companies out there like Walmart who have the, the resources to be able to go out and make those mistakes. Number one, right? Uh, uh, building your own, right? Or have the scale to even leverage your vendors to, to, to use it. Um, a lot of companies, they, they don't, you know, you mentioned one example right there. There are very few companies who even have the luxury of of, of trying it and, and, and failing. Right, yeah. You know, Walmart can stroke a check, right? And throw on 35, 40 product engineering people. But mm-hmm. also you get into okay, do those product engineering people, do they get to build what they want? Do they have to use a certain code base? Are they restricted? And like, yeah. just, it starts to get in the nature of it's hard for them to build a tool within maybe some of their systems. And look, Walmart can accomplish anything they want, I'm sure. But is it worth their time when you can just say, hey, hand it to the open dot guys and like, don't even think about it. And if you got some feature requests, just email them over and we'll work them in. And just why don't you be good at what you're good at and not worry about all this? You're exactly right uh, on, on that point. It, it sounds so simple, but it's not. And that's the reason why there, there's software vendors out, uh, because no one wants to, to, to mess with building their own software for their own proprietary use, especially when it needs to be shared. Right. That's, you need a lot of users on that platform to, to really make it work. And uh, part of, I remember this from our last conversation in our, the podcast that Zencaster didn't download for us. So I lost the recording uh, a couple months back. Um, is that your business models, the warehouses that pay for the subscription, which is an important piece, right? But you also have the user piece and getting users onto the platform, the freight brokerages, the, the carriers, the, the people who are actually scheduling, having them as users and champions to, uh, to, to go out and basically testimonials of, hey, warehouse, you need this, this schedule and this is what we use. You know, can you, can you get that? It'll make life easier. Yeah, that's such a big deal to us. And I think it's hard, right? When you're chasing revenue, you're trying to grow a business, it's 
hard for me to keep making this pitch of like, I've got to service these carriers and brokers. They're, they're my customers too. They're the other side of this marketplace, but they're free. And it's hard to validate that sometimes people are like, why are you spending so much effort on this group that doesn't give you money or you can't monetize? And I'm like, well, their adoption of it is what gives warehouses confidence to buy our product and use it. And it's what gets them excited. And so we've had some of our more, you know, outgoing broker partners actually recommend us. It probably doesn't happen to the rate I need to figure out how to get them to refer us mm -hmm. more often. But I get all this great feedback from carriers. And they're like, we love OpenDoc. It's our favorite system to use. It's the easiest. And these guys haven't even scratched the surface because I start to say, well, now that you're booking a couple thousand appointments a month, just to let you know, we've got an API. You could schedule all this directly via your TMS, maybe even using an algorithm and no human touch. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, uh, the warehouses check trucks in, they mark in and out times. I said, you can avoid some check calls because if you're using our API, you could just start getting those updates. Truck arrived, trucks in progress assigned a door, truck is completed and in and out times. And so when that driver calls you, you already know what's going on because the pickup or delivery facility told you, you already know the in and out times and if detention is going to be part of it. And I'm like, guys, you're getting value and you love us today. Wait till you figure out what else you can do with us. I know it's, it's, it is, uh, it's interesting in 3% of the market, you have a lot of ways to, to, to run, don't you? Definitely. Which is good. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're getting it up to the, the, that point where it's, it really becomes fun. Right. It's just, we're just, I feel like we've, I kind of start saying this, we've just got to the point where we're, we're kind of meaningful. Like when we call, like people pick up the phone, like, Hey, you know, large brokerage, you know, any of the top ones, like you guys are booking like 10 to 20,000 appointments a month with us. And it's like, oh, that that's actually like a, a notable number to to have a discussion. And certainly I'd like to be more of that, but that starts to get them excited. But when they tell us that we're just really easy to use, it goes a long way. And we even had an awesome, we closed like a, a nice little 10 location account, which is, you know, a, a good mid market for us. And they ask like all of our customers, they say, gosh, will our carriers actually use this? And I love it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, not only will they use it, they already have accounts registered. They book at a bunch of other locations and they love it. Um, and you know, I say it and they're kind of like, oh gosh, is this a sales guy? And I was like, no, I'm in product. I'm not even in sales. And they, they you know, they kind of, you could feel the internal eye roll, but they're always really nice. But then this call, uh, one of them texted they're, you know, their top broker and they text back and they said, oh, the guy's over at, you know, wherever they love open doc. They said it's a no brainer. And then all of a sudden the whole conversation changed and they, they bought the product because their top, their top broker was like, yeah, that's our favorite tool to use. And it just changed everything. I said, that's why we make it easy for the carriers. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, and the carriers and the brokers, the, the users on the platform are really engaged um, that, that builds value of the, 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 the company for the warehouses, uh, going back, I, I just now remember this, um, or it kind of jogged, uh, interest because you're the director of product, right? And that's kind of your background is, is product putting these things together, but you are now, and you have been for a while, like the, the chief salesperson of open docs for years now, right? And making that transition from product into sales. Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, I'm certainly we have a great sales leader, Nate Allen, who really makes all the all the things go. And we have Spokesperson. a great sales team. So but he's been very 
very kind to allow me to be the evangelist, the spokesperson, and the kind of like eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff in a very public manner. So yeah, I've got to do this for like three or four years and I love it. Like it's one of my favorite things to do to talk about it. And it's everything from scheduling to how we build software to the scheduling standards consortium. Like I just love being empowered to do that. And so, yeah, we're going on like, you know, at the beginning, our founder initially, when I joined the team, I was like, Hey, I really want to do this, but it was kind of working through that dynamic. But he, you know, he took some of the initial, like, uh, when we came onto freight waves and, and what the truck and some of those, he took a few of the initial interviews. And then finally he's like, why don't you do this? And I was so excited. And yes, now it's become <laughs> kind of my thing. And I really do enjoy it. I know you do. You, 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 and you're doing a podcast now, right? With, with the with the cadence. Uh, let's yeah. About the podcast. Yeah. So we do our own podcast. We call it What's Up Doc because we're on the open dock and we just realized like a lot of our team didn't have uh, some of the depth of logistics experience of the people we meet. And so we'd have these customer conversations with people who've ran a warehouse for 20 years or they're running 15 yards that are, you know, a million square feet. And it's just, it was so enlightening for us. And we thought, what a cheat code if we could have heard this when we first started. And so we just started asking customers, prospects, or anyone in logistics, hey, well, you want to jump on our podcast and just talk half an hour about the things we're talking about already? And um, we think people just like hearing about it. And we, we've only done, we've probably done about 10 episodes. We do like one a month, one every, you know, four to six weeks. And uh, we're, we'll probably try to ramp that up. But it's been great because their conversations we're already having. And I think it shows to people who are looking to purchase us, oh, these people actually care. Like they care enough to just keep learning and wanting to build product. You brought up the consortium. Um How's that going? Yeah, so they just actually released, I think I saw in the last like week or two, they released kind of a first wave of of standards. And I forgot the term they use, but it's not specific technical requirements, more of the, the conceptual requirement, but really identifying like the core concepts of a schedule. You have an appointment time, you have a location, you might have a load type, equipment type, like all those really good mm-hmm. details. And so I saw that come out and I thought it was really good. And actually on my radar is to kind of, go through their document and map it to OpenDoc because I think we're the still the only company out there that has an open API that says, we have the API. And so I love what the consortium's doing, but I think we're I think our API actually checks all their boxes. So when they're like, we should build APIs like this, I want to raise my hand and say, we've got it done. If everyone wants to follow our template here, we'd love to like share it out and everyone can yeah. just mimic ours because we think we're doing what you want us to do. And so that's probably my next big uh, public foray into into trying to, you know, show that we're we're leading uh, leading that group. Uh, we're not part of the consortium at this time. We're trying to figure out what that involvement is, but mm-hmm. we're really following a lot of the concepts they're laying out, and I think we're really aligned. And so, I just want to be the front runner there. You should, you should, you should be the front runner, and uh, don't ask or don't wait for anyone to ask you to be the front runner. Just go out there and be the front runner. That's how you do it, right? Yeah, that's what we're hoping. And, and look, they're they're working with other people who have developed scheduling software saying, here's kind of the standard. Can you guys make an API for this? And so that's what they're going to work towards, which is good. It'll help create kind of a standard, a standard function for everyone. But, you know, I want to raise my hand quietly and say, well, if you're if you don't want to build one and, and you're worried about all this, you could just use ours that we already have. Uh, you know, I think we're solving your problem. My gap is get us into the warehouses. The problem is, isn't fragmentation of scheduling tools. 
It's that even with all that fragmentation, we're only 10 to 15% of the market. So even if you get us all aligned, we still have this 85% other problem. So I, I really am raising my hand and saying, hey, help us standardize those. But if you could just get me into the other 80%, I'll have this huge growing business that I love, but I'll also be doing everything you guys are asking for. But when you look at the warehouse market, that is interesting. When you look at um, the, the ownership of the warehouse market, is it as fragmented as, as say, trucking? Is it? I feel it's really comparable. Um, you know, when I think about the top, and I, I've done a little bit of the math on this and research using uh, Transport Topics has a nice like top 100 mm-hmm. dry storage firms uh, in cold storage. And I think I remember seeing, I think I did the math, and the top 100 represented about 8,000, 10,000 warehouses, something in that. And so if we think there's 100, the top 100, only 10%. And then after that, it falls off quickly. And so you get really large companies out there like DHL probably operates and impacts 400 to 500 facilities. And then you start working your way down to really large 3PLs like Americold and Metro Supply Train Group that are in the hundreds. And then outside of that group, you probably have just some large shippers like Walmart probably owns, you know, 100 plus DCs kind of thing. And so, you know, those are the large ones, but similar to trucking, long tail, many one and two warehouse owners out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of rural, smaller rural estate investment plays. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's a commercial real estate. It's a nice investment to get a warehouse. You get a tenant that, that pays their bills on time. Commercial yep. real estate's a nice thing. It's, there's people who invest and just own commercial real estate and rent it out to warehouses, and uh, it's good business for them. It is. It is really good. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks for for dropping by today. And, yeah, uh, talking talking about warehousing and and something I'm always interested in warehousing because I I know so little about it except how to screw up scheduling. <laughs> no, we grow that. <laughs> we've all we've all been there on that, but I'm actually excited. Uh, you know, on What's Up Doc, our podcast where we just talk about anything logistics. I kind of uh, want to have you come over and tell us all about Brush Pass Research and kind of what you're doing, how you're building up broker data and who you think would use it. And as a former broker myself, right, like thinking, oh, you know, how would this benefit me? What could this do for me? And so we'd love to to chat about that kind of what you're building. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Will. And and I forgot about that, that you were a freight broker or you, you worked at a freight brokerage, right? You're the design guy who came in and we talked about it during our, our lost episode. <laughs> yeah. And calling me a freight broker is definitely an overstatement, but I did work at one. Uh, yes. And so I helped on a carrier sales team and worked at Global Trans for a couple of years. So yeah, I am. Uh, I, so I get excited about what you're building at, uh, at Brush Pass. Well, thank you very much. And I'm excited about what you're doing over at Open Docs. And hopefully, uh, hopefully everything goes smooth and the market's really good for warehousing. So that's good news for you. And um, yeah, I, you know, onwards and upwards. Awesome. Thanks for the time, Kevin. You bet. Thanks. And that will wrap it for this. Put that coffee down. You can always like, subscribe, follow, whatever they call it these days. Our channel, Put That Coffee Down, or Freightcast, where all Freight Waves podcast lives. But till then, go out and make some sales with some margin. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive, because winning's expensive. I got expensive, because winning's expensive. I've been paying all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars.